Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about animation and data visualization and the advantages and disadvantages of taking data visualizations and animating them as things transition from one state to another. And to help me talk about that, I've invited John Byrne Murdoch from the Financial Times to join me on the show. Uh, John recently created a bar chart race, as it's become fondly called, uh, that showed changes in populations of different cities as they change over time. And that bar chart race uh, got a lot of attention. And uh, so John and I sat down and talked about that uh, project that he created, why he created it, and all the other ways in which animation can be really beneficial to presenting and communicating data. And in fact, I am about to give a talk on animating data visualization tomorrow night here in Washington, DC, as part of the Sage Ocean Speaker Series. And I'm really excited to be a part of it and to help kick off the Washington, DC series. And hopefully later this fall, I will be in London to uh, give a talk at the London office of Sage. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, so before I get into the show, just a couple of quick notes. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, uh, please do share it. Tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, if you'd like to financially support the show to help me cover transcription costs and audio editing costs, please uh, check out my Patreon page. I have a number of different new platforms that you can use to support the show, all the way from a dollar a month uh, to three dollars a month, five, ten, and even more. If you're so willing, I'd really appreciate it. And if you're interested in learning more about data visualization, check out my workshops page. Later this fall, I will be conducting a bunch of public workshops. Uh, in November, uh, September, Excuse me, I'll be teaming up with Stephanie Posovic, uh, one of the members of the Dear Data team, and we'll be conducting our Dear Data series. We're gonna take it on a roadshow. Uh, we're gonna start um, in, uh, in, DC, or in New York, I think. Uh, we're gonna head over to Philly, and then we're gonna end up here in DC. And then in October, I'm teaming up with a friend of mine uh, here in DC to teach a data visualization and R workshop. And then finally, uh, later in the fall, I will be in Amsterdam uh, to teach a data visualization and Excel workshop for a full day with my friends over there at Graphic Hunters. So if you're interested in attending any of those uh, sessions and workshops, please do check out the public workshops page on my website. Um, and if you have any questions or you want me to come and give a workshop to your organization, please feel free to reach out and let me know. So, uh, but back to the podcast. Uh, on this week's episode, I'm talking with John Byrne Murdoch from the Financial Times about animating data. And here's that interview. Hey, JBM, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I like, I like this JBM moniker, <laughs> I can call you. I feel like I mean, yeah, it differentiates I, between the two Johns, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> it does a little bit. It does. Um, how are you? You just you just got back from vacation. I did. Yeah, I was over in Italy for a few days, which was fantastic. Um, yeah, it was a real real joy to be out there. So, yeah, lovely. You know, um, uh, Stephanie Posovic and I have done these workshops, and you know, she's originally from the United States, from Colorado. And she's in London, and we were going to meet in, in Chicago for something like a year ago. And I said, oh, yeah, she was going to be there. Her husband's family's out there. And I said, yeah. there's no problem. I'll just fly there. It's like two and a half hours flight. No big deal. She said, two and a half hours? That's <laughs> like from London to Turkey. So when you're like, I just went to Italy, you know, yeah. for whatever. That's like me going to Delaware. So yeah, um, it doesn't have the same ring. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to chat with you on the show because you hit, I think, a nerve with your bar chart races. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, people really responded well to them. And then Flourish came out with their own the ability to really drop and drag and make something about them. So I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about why you built it and, and that process. And then we can talk about animation sort of more generally and, and your thoughts on the value of animating data viz. Sure. Awesome. Um, yeah. So this, this was an interesting one. It was so the the one that I put out there, which I think seemed to get a lot of traction, was um, I think it was March 18th or 19th that I, I put that one out. And that was because in the couple of weeks leading up to that, I'd just been seeing, as I think a lot of people both within and outside the database community had been, seeing a lot of these animated bar charts, bar chart races, whatever we want to call them, doing the rounds on social media. Um I think one of the first ones that that really seems to sort of come out of nowhere was this one showing the um, estimated values of the biggest brands in the world um, and how they changed over the last 20 or so years. Um, I spoke to Matthew Navarro, who'd shared that one on, on Twitter. I spoke to him earlier today, and we're, we're trying to work out where that one had originated, and he mm. he wasn't exactly sure either, so he just picked it up off youtube or something and then and then put it out so there'd been there'd been that one and then there was one showing the the number of goals that different soccer players had scored when they were all at at a certain age and you know these just seem to be coming out of nowhere and coming out of different corners of the internet different software different stylistic um touches but the format just seemed to be really um you know catching fire there was there was huge, huge traction around these. And I, it just got me thinking, I, I guess, I guess I was thinking about it from two different perspectives. One was just the simple, like, Oh, I want to know, could I make one of these in, in, right. in the various toolkits that I'm aware of? And the second was more of a fundamental, like, you know, is there really something about this format, which makes these graphics really resonate? And so I wanted to sort of find that out for myself. Mm. Um, so Step one for me was to take the, the the global brand values one and actually simply recreate that one in D three. So using um, Observable, the like the co sharing mm-hmm. sharing platform, um, uh, because I already I already had the data for that one. And I thought, well, this will just be a proof of concept. See if I can get the old D three transitions um, up and running again and, and make sure it all works. And so I I did that fairly quickly and thought okay cool this this works and then i thought all right what would be another interesting data set to use in this format to to create something of my own um and initially i was thinking i'll do sort of the size of different national economies and like what have been the top 10 economies over time so i i started mm-hmm. looking with that data but yeah that seemed fine that seemed interesting but then i stumbled across this incredible data set of populations of pretty much every city that there has been on earth going back thousands of years. Um, and I just thought, so you've got, first of all, the data just fits very nicely. It's a data set where you've got lots of different entities and each of them has a value that changes over time. So that takes mm-hmm. sort of very basic requirement for, for what I guess we should, we'll keep calling a bar chart race. Um, the magnitudes of these numbers change a lot. So you go from populations of thousands to hundreds of thousands to, to tens of millions um, I guess the other thing I really liked about this, I felt it was just an inherently sort of curiosity peaking data set. It's, you yeah. know, everyone's fascinated by which the largest cities in the world are. I think, you know, plenty of people probably couldn't even tell you the top, the, the largest city in the world today. But right. certainly when you throw that back five, six hundred years, 
it gets just really, really fascinating. And so as soon as I started digging into the data, I thought, yeah, this is going to be the one. Um, so yeah, I then, I then plugged that data set into the same observable template that I built for the original brands one. Um, and I added a few additional bells and whistles. Like I think that was when I put on a world map, which sort of served as a, a color legend for the, for the colors of the bars. Cause I sort of did each continent in a different color, um, and allowed me to sort of have these little pings on the map whenever a new city entered the top 10. Um, right. yeah, so that was, that was pretty much that. And I did the whole of that. So from sort of coming up with the idea to making the two, the, the brands example and the city example, that was essentially just playing around over a weekend. Um, and then I think I set them loose as it were on, on Twitter on the Monday morning and I, I posted to Reddit as well. Um, yeah, and then pretty much just sat back and my phone proceeded to melt <laughs> as, all the, as all the notifications came in. So um, that was essentially it. It was a, a little weekend side project. And yeah. I guess for me, it really demonstrated that when you've got the right data to, to use in that format, these things, you know, people are just go absolutely crazy for them. Yeah. I'm curious what you you and I had a quick um, conversation about it after after it came out, and I was thinking, well, you could just do a bump chart with this, but then, you know, when you have these, like you said, you have a lot of data over a lot of years, you kind of get this spaghetti looking thing. But I'm curious what you think about this. You know, you have to sit and watch this thing for two minutes. It's not the immediate takeaway that you would get from from a line chart or a bar chart. And I'm curious what you think. You know, it strikes people that you know, we're in a fast content world and yet they're willing to spend two, two and a half minutes watching this, these bar charts move around and just grow and move up and down. I'm just, you know, why are people willing to spend two, two and a half minutes watching these things? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, and that, yeah. that probably strikes us as the most counterintuitive thing because yeah, we're in a, we're in, in a world today and especially on social media where attention span is about four seconds um, so yeah, the idea that someone would sit back and watch is crazy. And, and so I, I, I jotted down a few of the responses it got and one person said exactly this. They said, I can't put my finger on why these are so fascinating. You've got to watch for far longer than it would take to look at a line graph. Um, so why is this so engaging? Um, but then right. someone responded to them saying that the fact that you've got this time to speculate on the changes that you're seeing is for them the best part of this whole format. So mm. The graph itself, the chart itself, isn't isn't answering the whys, but it's allowing your mind to think. Ah, wait. So this thing just went up. That thing went down. I wonder what was happening there. Right. And the fact that you're it essentially keeps you sitting in front of it, thinking about what you're seeing. That is essentially a luxury in in the data of his world. You know, we all want to think that someone is sitting down with our charts for you know at least a few seconds to think about what they're showing. But very often with a static chart, someone will have a quick look and if the if the overall message comes out clearly you know if it's which is a good thing then they may well just say okay got it and move on whereas with a chart like this the fact that you have to sit there and watch it does seem you know it makes sense to me but it also seems from people saying this without being prompted that that act of sitting there watching does give you that time to really immerse yourself in, in the subject matter and think about what you're seeing which you might not otherwise get and then someone else said they wonder if the format encourages the analytical and questioning behaviors in a viewer that a scientist or a data analyst might do instinctively with a with a static graph but maybe within 
um, an audience of people who aren't familiar with the idea of, of reading a chart and you know uh, consuming it as a piece of information. With that audience, the, the, the animation essentially is what holds them captive and, and gets them thinking more inquisitively. Mm. Um, so I think, I think both of those are really interesting points about why the fact that you're spending time with it ends up being a strength rather than a weakness. Right. Um, separately, um, just there's this broader question of, you know, should these not simply be line charts all the time? So um, Andy, <laughs> yeah. I believe of, of Tableau fame, among other the other sort of hats he wears, um, he and Andy Kirk did a, had a great little debate um, about this at a, at, a, at a London Tableau meetup um, a, a month or so back where they were each just given once they were either had to be pro or against bar chart races and uh, Andy Kirk was in, in defense of and Andy Cockgrove was um, he used a great line I think actually which is he said bar chart races are like the fidget spinners of data bits <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right these things that everyone for a while goes crazy about and spends a lot of time with and then they end up being a fat there's an interesting argument to be made there and you know only time will tell as to whether these just end up being a passing fad but there were a few things that came up in that de- debate which I think were interesting points but I that sort of got me thinking more about what it is that makes these work and you know cases when they do work well and cases when they don't work as well and I think I've, I think I've kind of distilled it to three sort of ingredients as it were in in a data set and and the story you want to tell that that are really well suited to this format if one or more of those ingredients are in place then this could be the perfect way to tell the story and, and if they're not then you know maybe you should should just be a line chart mm-hmm. and so one thing i think is you you should really be using these when the values in your data set are changing hugely over time when you've got orders of magnitude and, and exponential growth so a lot, of, a lot of people reacted to the the one that i first put out showing city populations and said yeah, why not just make this a line chart? Um, they, yeah. You know, they wanted to be able to trace, for example, the population of Cairo or of New York or of London over time, rather than you know having it on screen one second and not the next. Um, yeah. But the the problem you would run into immediately with that is the the populations of these cities um, are just vastly vastly different from one period to the next. So. When the time series starts in the year 1500, the largest city in the world has a population of 672,000, yeah. whereas today 38 million. And you know, if you had a standard line chart going from zero to 38 million, then in 1500, that 600,000, you're not going to be able to see it at all. And you're right. certainly not going to be able to differentiate between the largest city on 672,000 and the second on 500,000 straight away you have an issue there and you know some people then counter and say okay but what if you had a a logarithmic scale um first of all you'd sort of have to have that logarithmic scale changing over time but even then the 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 tiny differences between a city with two hundred thousand and one hundred eighty five thousand population again don't really come through so yeah yeah for me one of the huge strengths of the of the bar chart race you know where you are essentially saying that your horizontal like numeric axis is is constantly clamped at the highest value in the data set the huge advantage is that you get to view every year whether it's 1500 or 2018 you get a view you get to view every snapshot of your data as if that's all that matters as if right. you you know as if you were alive at that time and that's what you were looking at 
Um, so it allows you to constantly to view this data to essentially see the most important points of the data as they were at every different point in time instead of having to view everything from the perspective of what's important today which is tens of millions yeah right um so yeah so one thing i think when you've got data set when you've got a time series that changes by several orders of magnitude i think i think this is perfect um another thing and this is one of a couple of points where i'm probably going to uh, make analogies to sort of um, movies um, and, and TV. I think these work really well when you're, you've got like a changing path of characters, when certain things drop in and out of those rankings over time. So again, with a line chart, the the problem you, you might have is that in order to show every city that has been at a certain point in time in the larger, in the 10 most popular cities in the world, you would have to have a hundred odd lines on that chart. So that again is not right. going to be particularly readable. Whereas if you want to be able to show 10 cities in 1500, but then a different 10 cities in 1600, a different 10 in, in 1800, etc., this format again works really well. So if your points of interest, or as I'm saying, your characters are sort of going on and off stage and changing, then animation is really the only way to do that while still having a sort of accessible number of data points on there. Um, and then the third thing that I think works really well is when your audience really can get on board with the idea quite naturally, get on board with the idea that they're watching some kind of race unfold. Mm-hmm. Anything where it's ranking, so like the original one that's, that piqued my interest, which was the most valuable brands in the world, or in this case, the largest city in the world. If, if you can give someone the idea that who is at the top matters in some way then i think that just gives that you get a little bit of emotional investment the idea that you're watching a race and then i just feel like you know people are so conditioned to watching races unfold whether it's you know watching um, the olympics every four years or whatever that we just this is a format that we just are familiar with and so you get that tension that suspense and this is another thing that several people commented on was that you really do feel a sense of excitement because you don't know what's coming around the corner and Mm -hmm. all of those things together. And I realize, I mean, a lot of what I've been talking about here is more about the pure sort of emotional reaction that someone has to these rather than, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking purely about perception and and the usual things we talk about when you're, when evaluating, evaluating data vision, I'm sure we'll come on to that, but just in terms of, of people seeing this and think and, and just being completely immersed in it, for for the two two minutes or so that it takes to watch i think when you have those things so changing orders of magnitude changing data points of interest and this idea that you're watching some kind of race unfold i really do think this is the the best way of showing that data and i and i don't think that that is something that which which is only true now because it's a new it's a new thing we're seeing i think that's just a fundamental um just a fact that when you when you're displaying this kind of data i totally agree with all that and i think there's uh, on this point of getting behind it, there's this other part of similar to a map, at least the one that, that you did, at least the, the one on populations, this holds for a lot of the other ones. Um, it also allows you like a map to place yourself in the context of the data. So, for example, when I'm watching it, you know, growing up in America, 
you know, I'm looking for, you see New York show up and then, you know, you say, oh, that's when the country started, right? You could see it grow. You can see different cities in America. You can see San Francisco show up and then sort of fade off. And like you said, you can imagine those stories and you can identify with your particular area of the world. Um, I'm sure other people in, in other continents and countries have the same experience of watching you know, understanding their the, the history of their own country and seeing the cities, you know, rise and fall of, of where they live and where they are. So I think there's that personal connection with these sorts of things that works well, too. Yeah, 100%. And, and I guess that's, I think it is important to, to talk here about how, yes, the, this particular visual format seems to seems to perform really well. But I think a lot of that is about what's being shown. So you know, the original one showing brands, people could could look at this and think, oh, like IBM, yeah, I forgot they were so big. And then, oh, look at Amazon yeah. coming up now. People can recognize the entities there. And it's it's exactly the same here. I think the fact that this was looking at global cities meant that people from all over the world who, you know, even even those who can't necessarily read English, they're still probably going to recognize the, the English um, spelling of the city they come from or cities in their right. country. So... Right. You know, I've I've seen people have taken this video and made their own Facebook posts in more than a dozen languages that I've seen. You know, from mm. um, various Indian scripts to, to Japanese and Chinese, and and so I think yeah, the the two the dual things of number one, long time series, so people get that curiosity that you get when you're discovering about the past, and number two, all of these recognizable places on on the planet. I think yeah, those were really, really helpful as sort of hooks for people to get into the story, as it were. I think if this were the the same format and even the same numerical values, but looking at something like, you know, the most, I don't know, the most prescribed medical products over, over time or something, you know, outside of the pharmaceutical industry, I suspect people might be a lot less engaged with it. So the subject matter, I think definitely is part of the reason some of these have been really popular. But yeah, I think when you put it all together with this format as well, then this version of this data is is probably just going to be more engaging than a static one. Right. Now, I sort of came to know and love your work because of the what I view as sort of expert way of using annotation on your graphs. But a lot of those are static. And so I wonder how you and maybe the rest of the staff there feel about or, or approach animation sort of more generally. We're ta- we've are we been talking sort of specifically about the bar chart race, but there's lots of types of animation, obviously. And so I just wonder what your experience is and what your thoughts are on data viz animation, which is just a totally different I mean, maybe not a totally different thing, but it's, but it's certainly a different way to approach communicating data to people. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good question because, again, just, just staying with this, the, the current, the city's example for a second, I think yeah, yeah. one of the strengths of it almost is the fact that there isn't a commentary over it and that allows individual people to focus on whichever part of it resonates most with them. So we did... Um, at the FT, we did do a, a second cut of this with a voiceover from me on there as well. And I've, I've done right. a couple of live performances of it, as it were, with with commentaries. And I think, you know, those have been great for other reasons. It does, it adds even more of this sort of sense of of suspense and, and excitement when you've got a, a commentary over the top. But I think what you lose there in this case is people are then probably going to be focusing on whatever I or the or another narrator is highlighting whereas with no commentary they're free to look at whatever bit they think is interesting to them at any given time 
so that's that uh, that's just on this specific example more generally um yeah i, I mean you know i and, and my colleagues here at the ft we really do think one of the most valuable things we can do as data visualization practitioners is add this expert annotation layer and so you know with these kind of animations when you're just seeing um sort of a data story unfold as it were i think voiceovers are absolutely um one way to go and so i know that flourish who as we discussed have, have put out their own template for this as well i know they have the in their toolkit you, you can add, add voiceovers to to animations um you can do that using text on the screen as well instead of um instead of obviously doing it through audio so a subsequent animated piece that we did here um maybe about a month after this one was looking at the times of day that different people in around europe eat meals and for that one um i added a bit to the observable um notebook that i created so that i could pause the animation and put up some short text annotations on screen which i think helped um more broadly that's something that we've been doing in our animations for the last couple of years so several of my colleagues here will often do animated pieces where you're essentially taking one static chart or map and just showing a couple of keyframes which really sort of highlight the story that is being told there and you know in some cases they will be showing something that did change over time so we might have a map showing for example some military activity in in syria and you know frame one will show um how things were in say january and then frame frame two will highlight an event happening in february um in other cases we're taking one chart that doesn't actually change but just putting up sequential annotations to guide someone through the chart mm-hmm. and i guess the thing the two things we tend to focus on there is number one make sure the the amount of text that is in any given annotation on an animation is short so you're you're not asking someone to to sort of stare into the screen and read a couple of paragraphs but you're just putting say a maximum of a dozen dozen or so words up that they're, they're going to look at for a second or two and also just to make sure you get the pacing right so i don't think we have a hard and fast rule on this but in in one of these animations so take the map example again um where we're going to be showing say four or five events and putting up a sentence on each one showing what happened while you know pointing to a certain part of the map i think we generally go for about a couple of seconds pause Mm. when each of those annotations comes up because the the difficulty really is as soon as you have a you transition away from an annotation before someone's read it that's just such a frustrating user experience yeah and in all likelihood someone's not going to bother with um sort of dragging the the video slider back they're just going to click away and um, mm-hmm. especially you know when some of these are gifs rather than videos and you can't you don't even have the ability to to scroll um to scroll yeah, you don't have any controls user right, right right so right. so yeah i think it's with animation you've really got to design for someone who isn't going to scrub um across the video you know even even though they can you've got to design for someone who just wants to sit back and make sure that you get the timings right so that they really can take in everything without feeling that they've, you know, they've been interrupted essentially. So, so what do you think it is about the animation that makes it uh, popular? Is it that it's more passive, uh, you know, you're receiving the information in sort of a more passive way. You don't actually have to examine the chart in the same way because 
you're adding this annotation, you're telling the story? Is it because it's like a, a movie or a video, which people might sort of instinctively associate with watching a movie or watching a television show? Like, what is it, do you think, about the animation that gets people to stick around for longer than they might with the same graph or even a series of graphs that are that are more static? Sure. So I, I think there's bits of all of that and, and a few other things in here as well. So first of all, just in terms of the initial task of getting the, the audience's attention, as we discussed um, at the beginning, people are famously short of attention these days. Um, and that's no more the case than it is on social media, which is where a lot of data visualization is consumed. Um, and so I think the fact that movement is a very, very effective way of drawing someone's eye is probably a big part of just getting the initial eyeballs on the graphic, but, you know, and, and that's, that's step one to, to producing an effective, effective piece of data visualization. If people, you can produce as, um, as Hans, Hans Rosling, um, said, um, in an interview with the financial times a few years ago, um, if you, if you, you can produce the best um, piece of work ever, but if people don't actually pay any attention, then as a, as a visual communicator, you failed. So I think the fact that movement, that motion really draws people's eyes is, is the first part. And, and one of the papers I was looking at when I wanted to dig some more into this, um, it's a paper called Enhancing Visualizations with Motion. And that is by, um, let me just see if I've still got that on screen. Um, but if not, anyway, move, moving on. It's, yeah, so it's, from, it's from a paper... Um, called Enhancing Visualizations with Motion. And they, the researchers there, the researcher found that when comparing color, different colors, different shapes, or using a little bit of motion to attract a data visualization viewer's attention to a certain data point, um, using motion, even, even very small motions was, or, or slow motions, was far more effective at drawing attention and this remained true when they then asked read back the values that were being conveyed by the points that were that were moving slightly mm-hmm. so so first of all i think there's there's just that that basic fact that motion draws our eyes you know it's the same reason that the horrible websites that we all hate will spin up loads of auto playing video ads yeah um, and you know i realize i'm in danger there of saying that bar chart races are sort of horrible but <laughs> But yeah, so on the, on the very basic level, I think motion draws attention. But then another paper, a really interesting paper that I read was um, one called the, the Effectiveness of Animation in Trend Visualization. And this is a paper by George Robertson and some colleagues um, that actually came out in 2008. But in 2018, IEEE Viz, it won an award for papers that really have had lasting, lasting value on the field. Mm. And they took the example of the the now famous and, and much loved Gapminder animated mm-hmm. scatter plots that Rosling and Co. Um, produced um, a few years ago now. And they presented three different versions of that same data set to, to participants and asked them several questions um, about how they felt about the effectiveness and enjoyment of the visualizations, as well as their ability to read off the values. Um, so they had one animated version, one static version, but using snail trails like the connected scatter plot, and one uh, small multiples version. And they found that there is just something fun, essentially, about the animated version. So I'm just reading through. They, they came back to it 10 years on and, and wrote up some of the most memorable insights they got from it. And so 
There's a line here where they say that study participants describe the animated version as fun, exciting, and even emotionally touching. Um, but at the same time, some participants did find it confusing. Um, mm. They also found that whether or not the different displays of information had interactivity, um, users who had delivered the, anim the animated version um, were less accurate in their readings of the data than those that saw the traces or the small multiples. So there's there's a few interesting things in there. So first of all, from this from this sort of data viz purist perspective of are people able to accurately read values of this visualization? It seems fairly clear that animated versions are actually slightly worse at that. And mm -hmm. you know, I think that that seems pretty intuitive. When things are moving around, it's harder to get a measure on them. Um, but you know, if you've also got people coming away and saying they found they they really enjoyed the experience. Um, of consuming the visualization, they found it um, fun, exciting, emotionally touching, and they they gave it more focus, um, then I think that's noteworthy as well. And when you look at the actual numeric values that they assigned to to people reading off uh, the values on on the different charts as well, they are, you know it was it was higher for the static examples, but not vastly so. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, th I think there's a lot there that sort of tells us why people really do just seem to engage with the with trends that have have motion in them. And then, so coming back to what you, you talked about, you know, is there something here about the familiarity of watching something unfold? Do we think it's like a movie or like a TV show? Mm -hmm. I think, again, and it's not just what I think, but based on a lot of the responses to to the piece that I put out and that a few others have done as well, um, people really do the, the suspense of seeing something unfold really seems to to hold um, someone's attention far better than static charts do. So uh, the way I think about it is a line chart. Yes, a line chart is going to be a more efficient way of communicating that information because everything is there upon the first viewing. But that you know the flip side of that is that one way of talking about it would be to say that the bar chart race is the no spoilers version of a line chart. And, and it's, right. it's that very fact that you, you don't know what's coming next, which is again, especially for people who aren't familiar with, with spending in a, you know, a lot of time um, reading data viz, that really just naturally draws people in and holds people in, in a way that a, that a static chart doesn't. So I guess, I guess my way of thinking about it is, it's it's not so much that that one thing is better than the other, but I think recognizing and appreciating that animation, there is just something about animation which makes people want to stay with a data visualization, mm -hmm. especially those who are not data viz familiar, shall we say. Um, I think that's really valuable, really worth knowing. And yeah. something that um, a couple of the academic papers I've read talk about is how maybe it's not it's not about saying you should do one instead of the other it's about thinking about the situation you use them in and so maybe you say well on social media we're going to use the the bar chart race version because that's where we're probably going to encounter a, a lay audience well that is less familiar with data viz and that we just want to to engage and hold and, and inform about this but then the version that i might use um, in a slide presentation when I've already got a captive audience or in a um, news story or, or an academic paper where the person reading the paper is already there, 
um, and you don't have to to grab their attention, then that's maybe where you use the static version that they can then pour over, analyze and read off specific individual numbers. But I do think it's worth appreciating that there are, you know, there are fundamental things about animation that are simply more effective than static animations in, in achieving certain mm-hmm. results. And again, that's why I think Andy Cockgreave's um, line that these are a fad, I think that's unlikely to prove true. Yeah. I want to ask one last question before we go. I would guess there are a few people listening to this to this episode saying, this all sounds good. I really like the bar chart race. I agree with JBM about making animations, but I have no idea how to do it. Or I don't necessarily have the platform to create something interactive or, or create something animated. Forget interactivity, just, just animated. Are there techniques or tools that you either use or know of um, that you would point those folks to? And I'm thinking of, you know, the researcher or the data scientist who's, you know, either an R program or a Stata program or just using Excel, but, but you know, has some good data and they want to make something they think, you know, a quick little animation would, would really help them. Sure. So um, one of the really nice things about this has been that I've seen these made in so many different tools. And the, the first two, the... Um, the brands one and the soccer players one. I'm, I don't even know what software was used to make those, but I've certainly seen a lot of people making them using uh, the GG Animate uh, library in R. Mm-hmm. I've seen even some making these in MATLAB. Um, I've seen some made in After Effects. Um, I mean, and, and again, I made mine using using the D3 JavaScript right. library, and, and there's this open notebook on Observable that anyone can can fork and iterate on and, and use their own data. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of tools out there to use. And I guess another, uh, oh yeah, one other I should mention is um, I've seen people even managing to do this with the animations in Tableau. Okay. Um, I know as well that an, another sort of halfway house version of this, or, or at least a version that would probably deliver a lot of the same benefits would be to just actually make a set of small multiples and then using one of the various free online tools for converting a set of images into a, an animated gif you could go go about it like that so take a set of snapshots for each year for example in your data and then turn it into a gif so you wouldn't get the same sort of smooth transitions from year to year but you might still achieve that overall effect of of watching a data set sort of grow over time um, right and one other one other example i should just just mention while we're at it um partly in terms of other people and tools producing this stuff but also I guess I presented a bit of a false dichotomy earlier in saying that this is a case of bar chart races versus line charts because a really, really great example of someone iterating on this was um, Josh Katz at the New York Times has been doing some line chart races, as it were, um, showing how the, the Formula One motor racing races have been unfolding this year. So it's the same principle of um, having these lines extend from the left to the right of a graphic and sorry, whoever's mm-hmm. the furthest right and last is at the furthest left. Um, but yeah, so Josh has been doing the same thing using lines instead of bars. So you, you probably gain a, a few of the elements that people have, have criticized bar chart races for not, for not showing. Um, and it gets a bit closer to, to what some of the, the line chart advocates have been asking for. So, so yeah, lots of, lots of tools, lots of formats, lots of people doing this kind of stuff. And 
before I glaringly forget, um, Flourish, of course, have come out and created their own right. uh, template explicitly for making um, bar chart races. So, so yeah, there's lots of tools out there for people who code, for people who don't code. Um, yeah, so it'd be it'd be great to see some more people experimenting with this kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, this is great. I'm excited to see what you and uh, your team uh, at the times come up with uh, in, in the animation space. It's it's certainly an interesting space to see developments in. So um, thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time out to chat with me about it. No problem. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to everyone for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned something about animating data visualizations. I hope you'll check out some of the links on the show notes page, uh, including the Patreon page uh, that I've set up to help support the show. So until next time, this has been the Policy of Is podcast. Thanks so much for listening.